Philippians 4, starting in verses 10, reading through 23, says this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to be uh, to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you, Philippians yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and the Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Amen. What's going on, Port City family and friends? My name is Tanner. It's good to be with you. How are y'all today? Good. I'm glad. I'm excited to continue in our series, to finish our series in the book of Philippians called To Live is Christ. Somebody say, To Live is Christ. That's right. I pray by the end of today, you believe that in your bones. Y'all, in in our time this weekend, I want to get us started by thinking about the difference between earning something and learning something. This became very clear to me the summer of my junior year, my greatest summer in my sports career, okay? I was playing summer league uh, football, you know, getting ready for the season, uh, which is non-contact, which is where I thrive, uh, being the size I am, amen, somebody, and when it's just kind of two-hand touch at 7-on-7, I was also playing travel baseball with our high school team, and I'm not a great baseball player. Uh, You know, I hit hit in the low to mid-200s, which is not great, you know, below average, but this one summer, you know, summer is kind of the time to experiment for coaches. They know who their people are, but they're trying to, like, build for the next season, so my coach comes to me, and he says, hey, Tanner, man, you are going to hit leadoff the rest of the summer. I mean, there was like 12 games left, and leadoff is like, leadoff is the spot you want. He just comes to me, he's like, man, you're seeing the ball pretty good. I just want you to have fun. You're hitting leadoff. Not going to take you out. Look at me. You are not leaving from leadoff. Y'all, I hit the ball so well that summer. I was raking uh, in comparison to what I normally did. I was seeing the ball well. I was confident. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't carry over the regular season. I, got, I ended up in the eight hole for uh, my senior year. But something about that moment with my coach and what that did in my life just unlocked something. He said, hey, this is your spot. You don't have to earn it. I'm giving it to you. But the purpose of it isn't so you could say your lead off. It's for you to begin to explore and navigate how you need to get better. I'm not taking you out. And what that did is it made me confident. And once I was confident, listen, then I got creative about how I need to get better. I'm not fearing losing a spot. I'm not fearing demotion. I'm not fearing, oh, maybe I'll move to the nine hole. What was happening was that it freed me to learn what I needed to learn. It freed me to have fun. It freed me in the, in the at-bats. I remember just being like, man, like, there was a confidence that I am secure, and I began getting creative. Okay, this at-bat, let me take this first pitch. Let me do this. And there were things I was doing that I'd never done before because I felt a security I'd never felt before. I didn't have anything to earn, but now that I was gifted that, I did have much to learn, and I wanted to learn it. And y'all, this is a good illustration for us as we think about walking with Jesus, is that what we have is a Savior who has earned it all for you, gifted it to you, and we get to learn the grace of learning. 
No more earning. Now it's time to get to learning. It's from confidence. It's from security. And it's from a place of love. And now we get to get creative in our walk with God. We're not earning his love. We are learning his love. Amen, somebody? My hope for you, if you don't follow Jesus, is that you would hear loud and clear the Christians have not earned God's love, and neither can you, um, and that you would learn God's love. You would receive it first and then learn it thereafter. So what we're going to see in our text this weekend is Paul is really closing out our letter to the Philippian church uh, by talking about a journey and a status on the journey. Okay, that's really what we're seeing unfold here. So to really understand what Paul's doing, you've got to understand he's just basically closing down the letter. He's giving a final update. So it has some just basic information he's giving, but it's loaded with helpful theology as he does it. Okay, so, so if you look at verse 10 with me, he, he's transitioning from, his, from our sermon last week. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Here's what Paul's talking about. All the way back at the beginning of the letter, he used this word partnership. You entered into partnership with me. Now he's saying, I'm, I rejoice that you revived your concern for me. What's he talking about? They gave him money. That's what he's literally talking about. Epaphroditus was the messenger of the, the, the goods they gave him. They, they are in partnership with him via money and relationship. So he's quite literally saying, thank you. Appreciate y'all. <laughs> And uh, what's awkward about this, put yourself in Paul's position. If he overdoes the thank you and the level of his need, it comes off like he's asking for more, right? It can come off a little, uh, uh, what are we doing here? You know, like, I appreciate y'all. Y'all finally got me that stuff, you know. I needed it about a month ago, but I appreciate you. He could have gone real passive aggressive. But if he's unthankful, what would that communicate? It don't matter to me. Right? So it's kind of a catch-22. So he's trying to be really honest with them, which is like, I am so thankful for this gift. Y'all were concerned for me. Notice he says, you revived your concern. The concern was demonstrated through the gift. Are you with me? He even praises them for doing some things, giving some money, entering into partnership in ways no other church had. And in the midst of that, he, he does give us some of the greatest verses in the Bible on but I'm good, though. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, he's saying thank you, but I'm good. You know what I mean? And I'm thankful. So with that in mind, just put yourself in Paul's position. This is a hard kind of way to close a letter, but Philippi is one of the only ones who really entered into this type of partnership with him. So he wants to give them some love, and he wants to also give them his inner disposition as he received it. Are you with me? So now that we kind of understand where he's coming from, let's talk about the journey and the status. Y'all, if you think about these two questions, you get asked them all the time. What are you up to these days? Right? And how are you doing? I think you get asked how you're doing more often. How are you doing? That is a question of status. Tell me what's under the hood. How are you? Right? What are you up to is the question of where is this car going? Right? Like if you just stop my car, the question is where are you going and how are you doing? Are you with me? Every day you're getting asked those questions. Probably multiple times a day by a friend. My coworker at the beginning of a meeting with your boss, they're like, how you doing? It's formality because they're waiting to tell you what you need to do different. Amen, somebody. But the, the reality is we're constantly invited to consider where am I going and how am I doing? Right? And that's what Paul is inviting us to consider this, this, in this text is how are you doing? That's going to be the conversation on contentment. And what are you doing? That's what partnership is all about. So let's start with partnership, and then let's talk about how we're doing in it. So our journey, y'all, our journey is partnership. Journey gets at this idea of what are you trying to do? Because even like the fact that Paul is thanking them for money, he says in verse 15, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. There's a big assumption going on here. I'm an apostle, (laughs) I am taking the gospel to places. I don't work and make money in the way the conventional people do. I need, I, like People are funding me doing this. What he's communicating is an assumed purpose for his life, right? Like my journey is to make Christ known. And y'all have entered that journey by partnering with me. Are y'all with me? And what we named this series, y'all, from Philippians 1.21 is to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
what that's communicating is the purpose, the journey of any believer, any follower of Jesus. Our purpose is to partner with God. That's it. The point of your life is to know, enjoy, love, and make known God. It's to partner with Him. His partnership, Paul's partnership with the church at Philippi, assumes that they're all in partnership with God. Are you with me? God sent me on a mission, and y'all entered my mission, which is a mission with God, and y'all are missioning with God as you mission with me. Are you with me? So it's an assumed, this car is aiming there, and your car is aiming there, and y'all are fueling my car, so to speak, but it assumes this, this partnership, this journey, this purpose. Think about purpose. My kids watch some Disney movies, okay? One of them is Toy Story 2, all right? And there's a character named Zerg. If you know Zerg, raise your hand. Young people, you know Zerg, amen? Well, Zerg uh, is the, the bad guy to Buzz Lightyear, right? And there's this particular doll that gets out of a box, Zerg does, and the only thing he knows how to say, y'all remember this, he goes, destroy Buzz Lightyear, destroy Buzz Lightyear. That was a toy that knew his purpose. <laughs> he was on a journey. One goal, you know, destroy Buzz Lightyear, destroy Buzz Lightyear. And that's funny and we laugh about it. But y'all, this is so assumed for Paul. Why did he need money? Why was he raising money? Why did he work at Corinth? He made tents in Corinth to make some money. Why was some churches... Did he work? In some churches, he received money. Why did he do anything he did? Why did the Philippians enter into partnership with him? Their why was to make Christ known. Their why was to love him. Their why is to live as Christ. So I wonder if at any given moment, when you get asked the question, what are you up to? What is going through your mind? And we can't allow good things like, oh, I work here. Or, oh, my kids didn't sleep last night. Or, oh, you know, like the... the the little questions and the ways we get stuck in thinking like what they mean by asking that, the question is, what are you doing? What is your life? And at the end of this series, we just need to pause and keep in mind, he wrote this letter from jail. <laughs> he wrote it in his to destroy Buzz Lightyear is to make Christ known, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This might be the last letter I write, but I'm good and I'm on a mission. I'm even on the mission as I write it. You could put me in the prison, I'm still on the mission. And I write this letter to y'all, and I hope you get this level of purpose out of your life. I hope we get this level of purpose out of our life. And no amount of momentum within feeling like it's going well was going to detract Paul from feeling like he was on the mission he was made to be on. And we've just got to sit in that. What is your purpose, believer? What, what are you trying to do? What mission are you on? Where is your car headed? Is to live Christ for you, or is it something else? We know, we the ones who know anything else ain't going to do it. We'll talk about this some here today, but God's goal for your life is not to satisfy you in the car as the car aims in the wrong direction. You know, the goal, the, the, the direction you head and the joy you have on the journey are linked. You see that? What you're doing and how you're doing are linked. What you're doing and how you're doing are always linked. They're not separate. I can't be doing good, but aiming for the wrong thing, you know? And if I'm aiming for the right thing, the iron is, I'm always doing good. Are you with me? The status gets wrapped up in the purpose. It gets wrapped up in this partnership with God. When I'm partnered with God, I'm doing okay. And now, yes, the Philippians enter into partnership with me. And y'all, this is big. There is something praiseworthy about this church that no other church had. Did you catch that? No other church entered into partnership in this way early on when he left at Macedonia. There's something praiseworthy. And if you look at the language, he's saying, you had concern for me. If you look at the verse 14, after saying, I'm good and I'm content and I, you know, I've learned how to, he's like, but, he says, yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And your, your Bible probably has a little note for share. It says, have fellowship in. What that means is it's literally like you got in my car. You get what I'm saying? When you gave me this money, it is as if you understood the weight of life I'm living in this car, where I'm heading. It's like you shared it by getting in. And we've got to catch that, y'all. That part of partnership has to be a co-sharing, an entering. No entrance, no sharing, no partnership. Are you with me? It's not that partnership can't take other forms like prayer and, and 
you know, love. Love is a big way we share. But there is a sense in which love always gets put into action, doesn't it? It just finds a way to, to put clothes on, you know, like the invisible becomes visible through action. That's, that's, that's the flow of the universe, right? That's what we're going to celebrate in a few weeks at Christmas. God's love is not an idea. It's always an enfleshed reality. So there is something praiseworthy about what they did that other, other churches did not do it. Does that mean they loved Paul less? We can't say that. But they put some bread on it. They put their, quite literally their money where their mouth was. And how often are we the ones who see something and we, we have a sense of God bless, but the hand doesn't match the mouth. Are you with me? And y'all, I'm not, I'm not here to beat us up on that. I'm just here to get us to consider our view of partnership with God and view of partnership with other people and particularly partnering with those whose mission is to make God known, to, to make him known in word and in deed. Partnering means co-sharing. It means entering. It means giving. It means money. Y'all, money, y'all know this. Money is just not an easy thing to talk about. It's just not. It's not an easy thing for the church to talk about. It's not an easy thing for church leaders to talk about. Um, we could talk about it way too much or way too little. Okay, Here at Poor City, we're going to try to talk about it as much as the Bible talks about it when we run into it in our text. Y'all, the reality is it is tied to our heart. It does show what we love. And so for the church at Philippi, you can go read this in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, they're actually praised because they made decisions at times to give money when they really didn't have it. And that over and over, the New Testament is not praising those who have a lot and give a lot. It's praising those who, out of a reverence for God, take the money they have and they go to God with it and allow him to dictate where it goes from there. I think what if, you know, just kind of at a real basic level, what we tend to do is we start with everything that is central and then we bring God in on the conversation, if he comes in at all, right? Uh, and in some, some cases, if you didn't grow up in a Christian household, and it's just not normal for you to know that giving money is a thing. It's just a thing. It's a thing because God loves us. It's a thing because God wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to deceive ourselves. He knows how central money is to our love. And so, Yes, in the Old Testament law, money is a conversation. And into the New Testament, Jesus is talking about it all the time. And what it all communicates is the way we use our money communicates what we value. And specifically, when we use money in conversations around the movement of the gospel, it is entering God's activity. That's what we're doing. We're entering God's car, ultimately. right? It, yes, it's Paul's car, but what they're doing is they're getting in on the action of God. You see that? They are seeing the gospel go forward in other cities in their region. They're helping fulfill Acts 1.8. You will receive power when my spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. They are entering that when they fund somebody who's doing that. Are you with me? And y'all, we're going to be uh, uh, you know, creative with that from an organizational standpoint here at, at Port City. Our, our leadership is praying through like where our dollars go when, when they come in as a church. And we're going to talk about that, budget meetings, all that. What I want y'all to be thinking through in your life right now, what does the current use of our money say about what our purpose is? If every dollar is an investment in purpose, if every dollar is an investment in a journey, what are our dollars communicating the journey of our life is? Are you with me? We can't say the journey of our life is the glory of God, is 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 you know, the movement of the kingdom and to enjoy him and all the dollars go to, to our kingdom building. Amen? So I, I don't know what that looks like for you as we approach the Christmas season. There are tons of ways to spontaneously give here in our city. There's so much good gospel stuff going on. Uh, giving here on a regular uh, basis at, to the church uh, and above and beyond. You'd be praying through that, what that looks like in your life spontaneously and rhythmically. Uh, and and y'all, all of this... Is, is I love how Paul says at the end, in verse 19, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You know, one thing it's like he's just reminding them of is when you give, God sees and he knows your needs. Because it is very logical and just hear that it's human to think through, when I give, what about, what about my needs? That's a legitimate question. 
And I think to that, Paul would say, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. Here's what's interesting about that. He doesn't just give based off your needs. He gives based off his riches. Are you tracking with me? It's according to what he's got and according to what you need. So here's what gets interesting, though. You know, like, you, just to use a real basic example, you don't ask a billionaire for five bucks. Amen? Like, you ask according to their billions. Um, like, what is, what, 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 what is $10,000 to you, man? Right? But we get in that mindset of, okay, well, God is super, so I should be just lavishly supplied with uh, financial, you know, needs. But I think you've got to keep in mind, you're, you're, his giving is according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, which is his all-knowing, all-powerful, all-love for you. <laughs> kind of like, I'm not a great parent if I'm just showering my five and three-year-olds with money and candy, right? I would be making a spoiled kid, <laughs> If every time they had a need, I was like, well, according to what I got in the bank account, let me check it out, 200 bucks, here you go, you know, like you're acting terrible. No, like God's goal for you is bigger than just what you think you need, but he will give, according to his glory, your need. Are you tracking with me? And we can trust that is aligned with his knowledge and love and what he has stored up, okay? So Paul does want to remind them of that. Y'all have given when you had nothing and God knows. God knows what your situation is, and he sees and he loves you. Amen and amen. So our journey is to partner with God and with others as we partner with God. Let's talk about our status. So yeah, you get asked, what are you up to? But you also get asked, how are you doing? And in this text, Paul gives us a really strong way to think about how we are doing. I don't know if you've ever been asked how you're doing in a moment where you're like, you should know how I'm doing. Don't ask me that right now. <laughs> It'd be like asking a, 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 coach, a coach in the middle of a blowout how they're doing. Hey, coach, how you doing? I just imagine at halftime, you ever see these coaches like, how am I doing? We can't block nobody. We're getting beat by four. I mean, they're just, but their response is based on how the journey is going. Are you seeing how those are linked? So as we talk about how I'm doing, it's linked to how it's going. Are you with me? So get in Paul's mind. He's good in prison because the journey he's on isn't interrupted just because his situation changes. For many of us, as we get into a conversation about contentment and how we're doing, we remove that from what we're doing, right? So we think we can have a good, peaceful, emotional life, but our, we're just aiming at the wrong stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's not God's goal for you. God's goal for you is to be so wrapped up in his purposes for your life, building his kingdom, not yours. Be so wrapped up in a world of him, not a world of you, that what happens is no matter what happens to you, you are winning so the how you're doing is flowing from that. And you can be like Paul who no matter, it doesn't mean it's not a struggle. It just means we winning. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> you can't take the destination I'm on from me, the journey I'm on. So those two are linked. So please just keep that in mind. As we progress in a conversation about contentment, it's not removed from that. Are you with me? But yeah, life in the car. How is it going? What is contentment? We see here in verses 11 through 13, he really breaks it down for us, right? Paul's thanking them for the gift, but then he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have, somebody say, learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have, somebody say, learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what is contentment? Just reading that, it, 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 is a le it is getting to where you are good. It's a settled disposition of good. I'm good. I'm all right. Despite what's going on around me. Right? It's an inner settledness. It is Psalm 23. If you really, it, a lot of y'all know that one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? He, he's not saying, I, 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 we just won 45, 28. I shall not want. You know, like it's, it's. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, I just got the raise, I shall not want. So like the, the, that's the contentment anthem is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, you know? The discontentment anthem or discontentment, what is that? It is just a craving. It is an under the surface, I'm not good. There's always something else I need or want. 
And if I'm good right now, ask me in five minutes, because I might not be. Uh, It is just this posture of craving. It's needing. It's desiring. You know, if there was a Psalm 23 for the discontent person, the discontentment anthem would be like, I'm good for now. Uh, You know, it's, it's, I need more. And y'all, part of what makes this conversation as we progress into contentment challenging, let me just be honest with you. Following Jesus is real and it's a fight in the sense that you're going to struggle with things. Like, hey, I wanted X. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to have ambitions. You're going to have desires. You're going to have expectations unmet. And part of what is natural in your human experience is to get punched in the face and then go to God with it, right? And you're going to go to the Psalms. You're going to learn how to wrestle with God and be like, God, this ain't fair and like lamenting. So all of that is fair game in a realm of contentment. Are you tracking with me? So not every sense of I'm disappointed is discontent. You see how that makes this a hard conversation? So it's like, what is discontentment then? Am I not allowed to ever be frustrated or disappointment? And there's a lot of books all the way back to the 1600s on this conversation. All of them start with what is discontentment? Am I allowed to be sad? Of course you are, right? Am I allowed to be frustrated? Of course you are and still be content and read the Psalms. Like really, like if you want to be a healthy, uh, frustrated with God person, or a healthy, disappointed, any emotion you can experience in a healthy way, go read the Psalms and then watch Jesus, right? Those two together will give you a good sense of this is still within the realm of like God is like approving of this emotional realm right here. So what is discontentment? If I could put it the best way I could, it's that it just is this level of despondency where you're just kind of thrown for a loop to the point of you're like, yeah, bump the Lord. Does that make sense? It's like an unharnessed disgruntledness. You with me? It's an unharnessed. And again, if you go read some psalms, some of them you're like, are they unharnessed? Like, but again, when we, when we went through our psalm series, the difference is the person who is really asking good questions of God, and we gave you this image of being locked in the room with the Lord. Like it's just you and him, and you can go to town and yell at him, but you're still in the room with him. Does that make sense? Think discontentment creates this world where you're like, yeah, I'm not going to that room. Nah, I'm out. Like, I'm, I'm not even like, discontentment is a craving underneath the surface that makes you not sober. It makes you uh, uh, just so, so needy of something other than God. You don't want to go to God. Does that make sense? You can be really frustrated with God and still be healthy in your processing of that. So I'm not against any of that as we progress in this conversation. Are you tracking with me? Go to the Psalms. I feel like that's our answer here a lot. Amen? Okay. What makes this a really revolutionary set of verses is he says, I have learned the secret. And then in verse 13, the famous verse, it says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So what he has learned is what he can do in Jesus' strength. I learned it, but it's his strength. Are you with me? I learned it. Jesus didn't learn it for him. He learned it. That's what it feels like. I learned it. But Jesus, it's his strength. He gave it to me. So here's what I want to do. I would say there are three, there are several ways we need to cultivate contentment on the front end of life. Just how do you cultivate a content heart? Okay. Then on the back end of feeling discontent, what do we do? Does that make sense? So I want to give you a couple of things for that. So front-end cultivation, back-end uh, uh, reorientation. Are you with me? So here's a few. How do we cultivate contentment? We must learn to just settle some things. we got to settle some things. we got to learn to just settle them on the front-end. What do I mean by that? The goal of your life has to be settled. Where the car is going cannot be up for grabs. Are you with me? It can't be. That's got to be settled. I exist for the glory of God, period. Because if not, there can be a situation you get put in if subtly, closetly, the, the agenda is, I exist for me having, you know, when these two coincide, I'm in. But there are situations where they're not going to coincide no more. Does that make sense? So what you've got to settle is, do you exist for God's glory or does he exist for yours? You've got to settle that. You have to settle that. Or discontentment will creep in. You cultivate contentment by when, when life punches you. Because a lot of this stuff comes down to disappointment and suffering, right? A lot of it just does. That's just the reality. Um, 
once punched, that one can't be up for grabs, you know? Because when you've been hit, you're like, this one feels, you know? Um, so you've got to settle that. What is the goal of your life? And then some truths you've got to settle. God is good. He's good. The, the old catechism said, what truth can come? The troubled soul. It just goes, God is good. God is good. And I mean, at the end of the day, that is the truth. That always seems to bring us back. And I see a lot of Christians in the room shaking their head. Because you can be in a bad spot, again, healthy struggle with God, and every time the way he woos you back is his goodness, is it not? It takes you a while to see it sometimes. You get frustrated. You're fighting. You're in the room. You're psalming. You're going hard. But his goodness brings you back. He is for you. Y'all, this is what uh, uh, Jesus' work settles for us. It's like, man, his goodness is determined for me based on what I saw him do for me, not on how I feel right now. I will interpret the now through who he is and what he's done, not who he is and what he's going to do through this. Do you see how that works? So if you settle that, then when you get punched, you interpret the punch through his goodness and not his goodness through the punch. Are you with me? But if we don't settle that in the moment, you can be like, I just got punched. How could he love me? Do you see how that works? Every time it feels that way. So if you can settle in your mind and allow the, the old writers of old, I loved how they would do this. They would talk a lot about your will and your mind and your heart and, you know, different verses kind of make you feel like, am I heart and soul and mind and body? Am I just body and soul? And that's for the psychiatrist to figure out and the high up theologians. But what I like about it is there's this sense in which there's an inner you that gets to drive even your thoughts. It's like your will, you know, like when Jesus gets asked what is the, the greatest commandment, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, right? And it's, it's this idea that there's something in you even deeper than your consciousness, right? And so in some kind of way, at that level, having to settle, God is good. God is for me. I exist for his glory. Get those things settled so you can cultivate contentment even when you find yourself in a prison cell, Amen. Second, we must learn the role of initiation. Initiation. Initiation is the idea of somebody got to go first. Okay, somebody got to go first. And what you'll find in your Christian life is every single time you look back and you made it out of something, that's going, you're going to know on the back end that God got me through it. But on the front end, it feels like you took a step, doesn't it? It feels like you led with something. Uh, I, I won't take you there now, but you can write down Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. You know, famous passage where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest. What's so fascinating about that passage, it starts with, Come to me and I'll give it to you. Take it upon me and you'll learn it. So it's, do you give it to me or do I learn it? Right? The point is, it's kind of both. Um, it's a gift, a learned gift. Y'all see that? Very similar to today's text. We're learning a gift. We're not earning a reward. But part of learning a gift is that initiation. And if you've never heard it put this way, is that most of the time your heart is leading your hands. Your heart is leading your body. Your heart, what you want, drives you, right? But sometimes your hands lead your heart. Some of y'all look, looking at me funny, and let me prove it to you. You say you love a sport. You love to dance. Okay, all right. I believe you. So every single time you dance, it's because you want to. Every single time. There's never been a practice. There's never been a step in practice. There's never been a moment where you didn't make the decision to do what you were being told to do and then afterwards started enjoying it. Of course not. Like, all the time. I love to work out. But I also love to sleep. Right? How many times have you done something and be like, I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> but... Five hours ago, you hated whoever it was that was making you do it. But what you made the conscious decision to do was to lead your heart with your hands. And it's the same in our worship. It's the same. Sometimes it is the initiation, although not feeling it, that brings us to a place where you're like, I'm feeling it again. So it's not fakery when you're doing it, when you're not feeling it. It's faithery, okay? It's like, it's not fake, it's faith. I am going to take this step by faith. I am going to trust God that you will make me one who worships you again. 
You will bring me back to life. You will resurrect this heart. You will resurrect the situation. And I take the step before it feels like any of that is true. So to cultivate contentment, we have to learn the role of initiation in learning. Because we can't learn if we're waiting to feel. You see how that works? It doesn't work any other area of life. Number three, we've got to learn to feast on Christ. We have to. Like the real person, not just the idea. Because what happens, y'all, is life, if, if your walk with God is just an abstract idea of love or of some, some good, even good gospel things, like Jesus died for my sins, that idea will not hold you. Eventually, ideas break down over time and the grain just getting pushed. It's always the person of Jesus that you've got to learn to really know and interact with. You know, it's really interesting. A lot of us, when you first get saved, when you're first born again, it's, it, you're told it's all about relationship, right, with God. And you're like, yes and amen. And then what's going to happen is you're going to have to learn the disciplines to cultivate the relationship. And then you get to doing stuff with the Lord for a while, and you're like, do I have a relationship with him or just with these things I've done, you know? And it's like, just be reminded that God's goal for you is to feast on him, the person. Hebrews 13, you don't need to turn there, but in Hebrews 13, he talks about, uh, another writer talks about contentment a little bit. It says this, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Hear this, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The basis of your contentment is the presence of God. That's what it is, Hebrews 13, 5. Be content with what you have, for I will never leave you or forsake you. <laughs> it's kind of like, I mean, you know, if you're struggling, your spouse looks at you and goes, don't worry, baby, you got me. <laughs> Sometimes when your spouse does that, you're like, <laughs> doesn't help, you know. <laughs> um, but when God says that, it does, it does settle things down, does it not? It's his presence. It's the person of Jesus that we need to learn to feast on. Because what's happening as you enjoy him is you are content. You could, you could put me in a stretcher, you could, you could, and there are some writers who've written on suffering that were quite literally paraplegic, you know, cannot move. I think of Joni Erickson Tata, is that her name? I think she, she's written some good stuff on it. It's like her, she could not move. Could your journey, your life purpose, could your status of contentment be stripped from you if you couldn't move? I, I mean, that's scary stuff to think about, but it is helpful in the sense of, is my walk with God real? Is it, is it a feasting on who he is? Or is it just kind of energizing what I want to do, you know? So, so I just push you to, to run to the person of Jesus and, and just see who he is. Just study him. Be mesmerized with him. His patience, his grace, his contentment. And him walking away from towns, y'all, like when they were begging him to come speak, and he's like, nah, I don't know about you. I couldn't do that. I couldn't walk away where I had a crowd demanding me. He is the standard of contentment. He was the content one. And then he died for a chump like me and like you. He traded places with us. That's just the tip of the iceberg of his goodness and his love. Feast on him. Next, we must learn the here and nowness of life with God. We talk about this a lot here at Port City. If contentment isn't here and now, it will not be there and then. It will not be when the family grows. It will not be when that situation changes. It will not come then if it's not here now. That's just a fact of the kingdom. The kingdom is here and now. It is not there and then. It will be there and then because it is here and now. But once you get there and then, it's just going to be a here and now kingdom. Are you with me? The kingdom's always here and now. It's not there and then. I think about 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. A lot of us even have this on signs and stuff, you know. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Pray without ceasing. That verse, those verses are so mesmerizing because it's the ability to, again, say thank you and please at the same time to God. You have such a view of reality. You're receiving every moment from him as a gift. Every single moment, there's something in it, even when it's hard. And there's something in it to say, God, I want more. Next, about to get real for a second. We must learn the schemes of the enemy, y'all. We've got to learn these. You've got to learn them now. You've got to understand what his agenda is. I thought of three lies and one factor. I'm going to speed up. Three lies and one factor the enemy leverages. Here are the three lies. God is holding out on you. And the subplot of that lie is just why suffer? 
Why put up with this now when you could just exit? You know, you're, this is happening because your car is aiming that direction, you know. All what would be well in here if you just changed what you were aiming for, right? Why, why put yourself through this? Second lie he leverages is that, that you deceive yourself. He's leveraging your self-deception. He wants to get you to trust some of your instincts. Because some of us, y'all, and this is kind of the line we need to teeter here, and I can't do this for you. This is the Spirit of God. Some of us are years into harboring a deep discontentment that could destroy us. There's a difference between, like, our hearts are idol-making factories, which means it's always popping up. But when there is a deep-seated, I'm gripped by another God, actually, and I'm just even for a long time, tolerating God until these go separate ways. Does that make sense? I can't know that for you. Good, fight, good fighting in the faith involves like repenting all the time of idols. So I'm not trying to shame nobody. I'm, I'm repenting of idols. I just woke up feeling like a chump yesterday. Felt inadequate, wanted to be patted on the back, wanted applause, wanted praise, wanted people to like me, wanted to feel validated, feared a future where I'm irrelevant. I'm like, well, I've been dealing with this since I'm 18. Am I a fraud? You know, feels like the same old thing. So just here, that's good, healthy fighting, is to fight idols. I'm not trying to shame nobody. You're always going to be fighting sin like that. But with that, if there is a deep-seated, I got to have this, and I'm leveraging God to wait on this, but if there comes a time where the weight feels like it ain't worth it no more, or it becomes clear I'm not going to get it if I keep rocking with him, then I am out. That's different. Are you with me? Those are different. And the last lie that kind of goes with that is that tolerating God is okay. The enemy is totally fine with you tolerating God. I don't know if you knew that. He is totally fine with God toleration. He is not in line with God adoration. He doesn't want you to adore, love, worship, union yourself with God. He wants you to tolerate him. He will be okay with you being in a church presence with God toleration. And again, good fight faith is it just feels like I'm tolerating God right now. I don't love him. That's All of us go through that, right? Went through it yesterday, fighting it this morning. You know, like all of us are fighting for joy in Christ, to love him. Good fighting. But there is a line where it's like, if nothing but, if all your walk with God has ever been is toleration, because mom had me in church, because I got, if it's always duty and never delight, that's not good. That's not good. So just one, I just want to give one poignant illustration of this that I'm just going to be honest, I've seen happen. I heard of another one recently, and it ain't nobody you know, so don't, don't even worry about thinking about it. I've seen this with people in prolonged seasons of singleness. I've just seen it, man. I've seen it. I've seen people fight to hold on to God, long for something good, which all of us in this room are doing right now. And I've watched out of a desire for something that they felt like they had to have, they settled for somebody who wanted nothing to do with the Lord, said whatever they had to do to get married to this person, and then ripped their heart from the Lord, and they want nothing to do with him now. I've watched it happen so many times, and I've watched people try to convince themselves, oh, but he, he goes to church. Oh, but he, he, you know, she, 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 she read, she got this book. I saw this one book on that show. She loved the Lord. It's like, do you know that you know that you know that this person loves the Lord more than anything and they want to fight with you to get in that car to go in that direction? And just what I've watched happen is a creeping back, a removing from community, a removing from the word, a, a ghosting, a ghosting, a ghosting with people they had years in the trenches with and then walk away. Gone. I've watched it happen many times. And I can't know which of those it is. I don't know in your life, in my life, what is healthy fighting or what is just harboring a deep discontentment paired with a toleration of God that is going to destroy us. Are you with me? And for those of us who are in Christ, hear under the sound of my voice, fight for your life. The enemy is not your friend. And what is most important about your life is satisfied in God. And those desires you want are good. And when you get punched in the life by face, Punched in the face by life, amen. Uh, that, I hate that for you, and I feel like I get punched. How we want things well and then respond to bad things happening, the Lord wants to be in those. He wants to get locked in a room with you and bust out the Psalms. Go to war on them. But that is different than you got it wrong, I've been waiting, and now I'm out. You have blown it. Now I'm, I'm taking the reins again, and I'm in charge. 
What do we do when discontentment hits? I think what we do is we just learn to recalibrate through repentance. Y'all, it's just repent. It's just repent. It's repent. It's repent. It's repent. Not a half-hearted, as James 4 would tell us, not a half-hearted, oh, Lord, I'm sorry, while we're harboring what we're, I'm sorry I want that more than you, but I'm going to keep on wanting more than you, amen. It's a throwing yourself upon his mercy. That's what it is. That's what James 4 talks about. And then once in that place, y'all, where repentance is there, I do think we need to learn to learn from God. You need to learn to get creative. Y'all, I feel discontent every day at 2 o'clock. It's after lunch. I ain't have my coffee. <laughs> do not ask me about reality at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, okay? Um, don't ask me about it. Um, don't ask me how I'm doing, you know, when, when certain situations are going. I've just learned about myself when I'm like most just, ugh. You know what I mean? Do you have those moments? If you ain't a morning person, it's every morning you wake up. Um, for me, it's every night I have to stay up past 930. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's, that's a joke. But in a, real, in a serious way, learning from God is this posture of, we're good, God. You love me. You're not even shaming me over my discontent. This is what's so hard about a preacher, y'all. I have to preach this with the warning level that it is of, like, what's at stake here. And at the same time, you can't earn your way out of your idols are out of like getting to a level with God where this isn't a problem no more, right? <laughs> the flip side of it is, is that God absolutely radically lavishes his love upon us for free right now. And what that creates is an environment of safety where we can learn from him. Just learn. Psalm 25, 8, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. What do you do when you need to learn a new way? God, I, I'm stuck. This is what I'm doing every time. Every time I'm discontent, I go to that. I cope this way every time. I need you to help me. I am not going to you. I don't trust you. Help me. That is healthy fighting discontentment. Are you with me? I ain't trying to shame nobody over ways discontentment comes up because it's going to come up every day. The question is, what do you do? And the posture I want you to hear from your heavenly father is, hey, I'm with you against that. I'm not against you for that. Right? Are you with me? God is with you against what is trying to crush you. He is not against you for that which is trying to crush you. Are you with me? Once you see that, and once that gets unlocked, God's love, he is so for you. He is with you against what's against you. He is not against you for what's in you that's against him. <laughs> He's with you. He is for you, believer. He loves you, and it creates an environment of learning. God, how is it possible? Teach me to want this thing. Teach me to wait on you. Teach me to long for you. It's not that he's waiting on you to naturally want him within your own power, and he'll wait for you. He'll wait till you're grateful. He'll wait till you ain't an idol-making factory. He knows you will be weak tomorrow. <laughs> but the point is his grace is sufficient now, and it'll be sufficient then. Keep going to him. Trust him. He is better. He is better. And y'all, can I tell you a secret about the other people in our communities, our workplaces? Y'all, they don't know a God who is better. They don't. You know that old song, it's in Sing Too. My kids sing it all the time. Still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? I still haven't found what I'm looking for. They, they, that's their song. That's not our song, right, believers? Our song is, Christ saved me at my worst, purchased me bought me this bum right here i'm a bum right now but god loves me i've found it the goal for us is to keep being found by what's already found us right we want to stir up what's already grabbed us we want to live in the pool like god don't let me just dip my toes in help me but at least we know where the pool is you with me for them they haven't found it we are living from contentment in a world that is living for it they are searching every time they get on their phone you are not you have found it. You don't need to go find it. There's nothing you'll buy this Christmas season that will fill your heart. Nothing. <laughs> we know that. We know. We know. We know where the real joy is. We found it. We've been found by it, rather. They have not. Do you know what that means, family? We can lose. Because we don't always need to win. We can wait. Because we don't always need it right now. You can be misunderstood. Somebody playing to win cannot. You can be disappointed because there will be a day you never will be again. And you have a heavenly father who knows what's best for you. 
you can be a disappointment. This is the one I struggle with. I do okay in being disappointed. I'm like, Lord, I trust you. But now make me the disappointment to others? Okay, Lord, what are we doing? Uh, how dare you? But y'all, what this does is it unlocks. I still have wants, but I don't need in the same way. Are you with me? Christian, you want, you don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. You've got it. So just hear me. If you don't feel content in Christ, that's okay. You have everything you need in him. You can do all things through him who strengthens you. That is our anthem. That is who we are. We can trust him. And as we do that, the people who can't lose, the people who can't wait, the people who can't be disappointed or be a disappointment will watch you take losses and take pauses and wait in different ways and say, what planet are you living on? And you get to tell them about what you found. That's how that works. Contentment can become the foundation of the greatest missional living in the world. And Paul closes his letter just by reminding us of the goodness of God, that those of Caesar's household greet you. (laughs) Y'all, the gospel through contentment, through enjoying and feasting on Jesus, had reached all the way to Caesar's house by the time they got this letter. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. And family, I say that to you. May the grace of God that rose Jesus from the dead be with your spirit as we learn contentment. You will not earn it, but you will learn it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you that you want us to learn things and not earn things. God, I pray for any unbeliever. God, just under the sound of my voice, uh, Lord, I just pray that, um, Lord, we would just be so starved, so searching Uh, so longing for that which we were created that we would come to you you are the source of life God and that at that moment we would see we have to receive life we can't earn it can't achieve to it and father I pray for us who are believers God we all have our list of discontentments ways we're disappointed with you frustrated with you I pray for healthy content fighting for faith in this room God I pray for big dreams I pray for big aspirations big hopes I pray for all those things and I pray for us to fight for them healthy God, help us, and when suffering hits us, help us to lament well. Help us not to fake. God, help us to have faith. God, I'm not advocating for faking in this room. But Lord, where discontentment is like the hot lunch you leave in the car and just growing disease and just threatening to kill us, God, would you root it out of this church now, God? Please lead us to repentance in deep, deep, deep ways. God, help us. We need you. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.